And now a message from our sponsor. Hey everybody, it's Bootleg Captain, Captain Bootlegs here. Yeah. If you're like me, I bet you're enjoying this Toys, Toys on, on Tap, Tap podcast. Yeah, I am enjoying it, it's very nice. But did you know you can enjoy it more just by joining that Patreon? Oh, I did not know that. There are so many cool perks available on the Patreon for you. There's and also and Wow, that's really a lot of stuff if you ask Bootleg Captain. Captain I don't bootleg. understand. There were noises I couldn't hear with the person. So join today to support Toys on Tap podcast and Bootleg Art Toys. But if you're not in a position to join the Patreon, head on over to Apple iTunes and review and subscribe. That helps out the channel as well. Okay, I'll go rate it, I guess. And remember, listen to Toys, Toys on, on Tap. Captain Bootleg, the bootleg captain sent you. Why does he keep referring to himself in the third Can person? I stop with the stupid voice now? I'm not sure why you made me want to sound like a pirate. Oh, so that was a fake voice. Oh, yucko! I, I didn't realize it was just pretend voice. Oh, okay. Your episode of Toys on Tap. I'm stoked that you're here. Thanks, wanna... man. I'm stoked to be here. Super yeah. stoked. You want to introduce yourself? Um, sure. Um, Joshua Hoagland, and um, I like to make toys. I, I've been doing toys since I was a kid, really. But um, you know, along with other things, just uh, it's been. It's been kind of a, a like like a, like a, one of those little secret hobbies that that sort of existed in the background and um, just gave me something fun to kind of like share with other people and just be like yeah, yeah like um, back in the day I started out kind of looking at stuff like um, you remember Pee Wee's Playhouse yeah yeah that was kind of like the the catalyst that made me really kind of want to do stuff like the work of Gary Panter and it, it, it's funny because there were kind of things that I was already sort of playing around with at the time of like just you know mashing things up I think it's a natural progression when you you take your GI Joes and you figure out that that little screw in the back can be taken out and that you can modify that guy pretty easy yeah by, you know so when you man, we're jumping already right into it. so what would you say how long have you been doing this? How long have you been doing toys or some art form? It's been pretty much, um, pretty much since I was a child. I think like okay. that. My dad, my dad's an art, was an artist too. Um, his background was like it was a sort of like a painting arts background. Yeah. And then he went into jewelry professionally, which um, which kind of just it's just like when I go through his stuff, um, he had like just sketchbooks and sketchbooks, like like stacks of sketchbooks um, that I hadn't seen that were from like his college days, and um, it just it kind of goes goes like all the way back for me, like it's, it's it was like I was born into an artistic household, yeah, of, of, of like a hippie set of parents who were like hey if you want to try to mess around with this like here's some stuff for you to play with i love that that's like the perfect start yeah um it's pretty it was pretty cool i um my dad just passed away recently so he's like really fresh fresh on my mind yeah um and it's always been one of those things like um because he's like a, a well known jeweler in the small 
city in the town that, that I grew up in. And there's always like this, like, can I keep up with that? Like, can I like compare my stuff to his, but he was always like really encouraging. Um, and it just kind of started out where we, I'd find things like broken baby dolls. Um, so they'd have like those little, you know, those little flippy rotatey baby doll eyes. Oh yeah. The creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he would start and he'd like make sculptures with things like that. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, as I got to be like, say like around high school is when I really started to like get destructive with my toys. And, um, I started to take things apart and like rearrange them, like cut heads off of things and then put them back onto other bodies. And at that point, um, Don would come in and just kind of like look at the stuff and he'd say, here's a, here's a set of tools that are like jeweler's tools. Um, use whatever you want to use here and um, play with these tools, like learn how to use this, this flexible shaft or learn how to use this jeweler saw. So he'd give me tools to play around with that were extra or broken or damaged. And um, I would just kind of mash things together. And, you know, at that point, you don't really understand a lot about um, how to permanently fix stuff together. And we didn't kind of have the same level of technology that we have now. Like, I think like two-part epoxy was something that was like harder for me to figure out how to use at that time. So I would just stick stuff together with clay, you know, or, or just pour wax on things to kind of make them like stick together. Yeah. And then, um, what would happen is he'd say, Oh, let me just, can I have this one? Um, uh, I want to try to burn it out in the, um, in a flask. And then, um, so what he did is, um, he took one of them and then he burned it out in a, um, uh, a, a flask, a casting flask, yeah. which is, which is like investment that gets poured around an object. And then that goes into a kiln, which, which, um, melts the wax out of it. It's basically the lost wax process. Okay. So we would melt out some of the, the plastic toys and then we would cast them in bronze. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, wait. You would cast them in bronze? So you have some yeah. of your original work when you were yeah. younger in bronze? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like I have a lot of, I actually have like a full, like a full set right now of pieces that are like, um, like the pieces that I started out with was like mostly like some like religion icons, uh-huh. You know, like a little statue of Joseph or a statue of Mary, and then I cut the head off and I'd stick like an animal head on that. Yeah. And then we'd cast that. And then sometimes the casting would work great, but other times the casting wouldn't because there's a very reactive, like volatile situation that happens inside of the flask with the heat. And then sometimes the gas will like fuck up the investment. So you go from like a solid, thing in there and then all of a sudden it's like no i don't like this it just cracks the investment and it might not cast perfectly it could have been the way we were doing it too you know because we were like experimenting and stuff but um we did a lot of casting together because really what he did was lost wax casting for jewelry making yeah so did you 
I mean, that's an early start to this toy scene. That's like, we don't have any kind of understanding of how early that is because that's way that predates a lot of stuff. Well, that was like in the like for me, that was like, and I graduated from high school in 1989. And um, some friends of mine would come over and we would make these things, we'd call them hell beasts. There's always like some sort of hell ish kind of connotation associated yeah. with these things. So we would make that, and then as a, as time went on, they they would be too big. So it'd be like a mashup. It'd just be like a mashup of like six million dollar man with some lobster claw or something weird. Yeah. <laughs> and that wouldn't work in, in a casting. Like what you need for a casting is something small. Uh huh. You know, like like this size. Okay, like three seven five ish around that size. Small, smaller for me. It was smaller than three seven five. It would be like um, the size. Like what we we had success with was like um, these cake topper um, hockey players. Uh huh. That was like where the success started to really happen. And I and we did um I had a set of those that I really wanted to cast, and then he slowly would get time to like have the materials to cast these in bronze. And that would be like between the end of my high school years and into um sophomore, junior year of um college. Cause I remember when I was a junior. I was kind of conflicted. I didn't know if I wanted to be into painting or if I wanted to be into sculpture because mm. the sculpture department at UMass was really, um, was pretty good too, but it was kind of cost prohibitive for me to be in sculpture. Like they had to have welding supplies and stuff. I just didn't think I could do it at the time. So I stuck with painting and um, I showed some of the cast bronze pieces to my teachers and like one of the points that they made was they were like, you have to figure out a way to display these things. You can't just put them on a shelf. Like no one's going to be interested in like bronze figures on a shelf. Like that doesn't like it. It was like this piece that was missing was a packaging piece. Like I had thought about doing things like putting it in a box or something, which would be kind of cool, but it wouldn't have the same sort of like the, it's not the same venue as when someone takes something and puts it inside of a blister and packages it like that. Like, yeah. I think back in the day, like um, there were some classmates of mine that made like a blister package. This was in college of themselves. Like they made a blister of, their, of this one dude, Brendan. Okay. And that was like, kind of like the first ever, that I had seen of a blister of someone. But I mean, the blisters were like G.I. Joe was like everywhere and Star Wars was everywhere. Micronauts would be everywhere. Like those were like the main, the main influential like blister toys. Yeah. I think that we all like would be like, yeah, that's, that's the art right there. That's like pop art it's popping out at us. Yeah. I mean, the stuff that we do, stuff that we're looking at now i think for me it didn't really start to like materialize as like oh you can buy a blister until like i started to be living here in california where i was able to go to um comic-con mm -hmm. and at comic-con that's when it sort of um, synergized where i saw um 
I saw Sucklorb's work and I saw a DKE booth that they were kind of like congealed together, I think. And there was like the, the gay empire figures. And I was like, these guys are doing it. And then I'd go back to Comic-Con the next year. And I was like, they're still here. They're still doing this. Yeah. Like what, what's happening? Like, like I've got toys like this and I've never, I was like, how do you get those blisters? Like, what do you do? And then they kind of like let on to it. Like, oh, you can talk to Dove, like he can sell them to you. And I think it was maybe like I stocked that, those booths for like three years. And then it was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. If I get the blister and put the figure in there, um, it became like a different, like a different sort of venue, I guess you'd call it at this point, like the, the current form that it's taking now. Wow, that is incredible that you started so early on. And then as you, so when you talk about that Comic-Con, that first one, what year are we talking? I moved here in 2012, 2012. Okay, so you get there, you see, what's it like? Can you describe this feeling where someone is presenting or displaying or selling something that you had been doing for years you just didn't know like that was the next step or you didn't know how to get there what what is that like um well it's it's a mixed reaction of like being really happy that like you're not like like the mixed feeling of being at comic-con first off and be like wow like this is great and then also the feeling of like, well, well, what? I'm glad, I guess I'm just was kind of glad that someone had thought of it, you know, like that it was still a possibility to do it. But then I felt like, well, it's achievable because I had had the, um, I had the little figures inside my dad's store for a while and I had tried selling them to different people, but no one was really interested. And I'm not like that much of a salesman to be like in the right place. I'm not in the right place at the right time. It just kind of felt like these guys are in the right place at the right time. That's the lead that they should follow at that point. I, that's what I kind of started to feel like. And that's when I went up to um, DKE booth and I was like, hey, I really want to get in on this with you guys like can I join like how do I get in on this with you like what do I do yeah like that's where I was like okay well, let me get in because I've got something that might work and then at that point I think is when I started to buy blisters and then um, I did a set of stormtroopers because I had a collection of like about 200 like stormtroopers and um we had stormtroopers up in the in my in the office for a while that were like a, just like a display you know buddy of mine we were like hey you know it'd be fun this would be if we had a whole like army of stormtroopers and we put them up on our cubes mm -hmm. and then at that point we started to like um basically mod them you know like cut little straws like red straws and then strap them around the stormtroopers so it looked like suicide vests yeah 
do stuff like that, like have them killing Ewoks and just do silly things and bits of downtime that we had. And then those stormtroopers became like, like kind of tied in with that whole idea of like that gay empire thing where I was like, oh, that's cool. He's like really hacking these guys and kind of like making fun of them. That's like what we're doing, what we're doing with our stormtroopers too. So if you can repackage these things, and then of course you see other people just kind of like repackaging them and, you know, got people like, like a loop mental or something who are just making beautiful card art that goes on the back. And then you think, Oh, like I'm not that good of a watercolor artist. So <laughs> that, that idea is already taken, you know, yeah. um, my first carded figures were some droids stuck onto wood. And then after that, I, uh, it took, it took a while to figure out like how to like glue printed, printed material onto the right kind of cardstock. We interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Meanwhile, in a galaxy of bootleg treasures. DOV2, we have engine failure. We almost crash land on DKE Toy Planet. Oh my, we're doomed. Wait, salvation. Hooray, we're saved in DOV2. Limited edition custom artist made action figures and DKE toys! Check out www.dkatoys.com for a full catalog. Hooray for custom action figures! DKE! And then cut that and have a clever design. So I did um, Dead Senators, which was like a run on the Dead Kennedys. Yeah. And I did like a bunch of stormtroopers that were like Holiday and Cambodia basic stormtroopers doing holiday in Corelia. Mm-hmm. And um, I took the, some Dead Kennedy art from their album and put that in there. I wanted it to be kind of like punk rock mashup. At what point do you start to track, like in your head, when you talk about or think about your professional, like this is when I started to make toys. This is when I started to card things. This is when. So what is the first toy that you like look back to where you started carding them and you would say this is the first toy i produced for sale or for someone else or for what i was doing as like a carded figure or just as like a toy probably a carded figure because it seems like from your story that's where you were headed you wanted to learn how to get to that point so that first carded figure what was that what was that toy um first carded figure was probably just gluing uh like a gluing a a um droid like a r2 droid onto a piece of wood and then throwing a blister on it Mm -hmm. i love the idea that something this i mean i almost just said the phrase this will have to stay between you and i even though this is a podcast (laughs) but uh i get very bored in my own work in my own stuff with the common backers like we we all spray stuff, we all put adhesive so you can stick the paper to the stuff and we make them. But whenever someone comes up with something new, I'm always super interested. Like uh, Dan Overdorf, he screen prints them all. Yeah. Or hearing your first one is wood. Like I love that. that yeah, that would look. That wood had a stencil, like I, I hand cut like a stencil. I think. 
Yeah. And was just kind of, because I was spray painting, um, I was spray painting stencils on grip tape. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, I really like stencil cutting. That was something that came from um, my other career background, which was in stained glass. And we used to cut stencils in that a lot. You know, because we do a big window that would need like repeating patterns. Yeah. And the best way to do a repeating pattern is a stencil. Which is and insane it, to think that like you you start you have all these art backgrounds and you're starting to bring them all into this one Kari figure where you're working it all together. And I we can't just brush over it. Let's talk about that stained glass background. I think you and I have talked a little bit about it, but what is that? When did you start doing that? How did that come about? That was post-college because um, when I moved to Boston, um, I was making toys in Boston. And, you know, like this was like 1993 was when I moved there. And um, I had like a maquette of a box, okay. which was basically just um, something I worked on in my first like rented house. So my big ambition there was I was going to take a bunch of like mashup figures and customs mm -hmm. and I was going to do seven layers of um, the Inferno by Dante. So like the top level was like a Cupid doll that had um, condoms on it. <laughs> And it had, so it was real creepy. It was geekery looking. Yeah. And it had like, um, you remember Godzilla with that lever in the back of his head? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like that would be like the lust layer. So I wanted to do like the seven deadly sins. Mm -hmm. And then when I got down on the bottom, it was like some bat-like G.I. Joe. And there was a bunch of mirror inside the bottom layer. So it was like a room of mirrors wow. on the bottom that reflected these three little figures in the bottom. So I had to go to this, um, this little shop in East Boston where they cut mirror. And the dude was like um, showing me how to cut the, uh, cut the mirror because I needed to cut the mirror to fit inside the box. And then I was like, huh, glass, it's kind of interesting. And then um, my friend Benny and my friend Julie found an ad in the paper and they were like, you know, if you want to learn how to cut glass, why don't you apply for this job, which is for a stained glass studio. Mm -hmm. So that's how I kind of got hooked up with those guys. And I ended up getting the job and um, ended up doing an apprenticeship, which was like an agreement between the, the, the studio and myself that I'd work for them for at least like five years. Oh, okay. And you, as you are working in this, like, was it, it's tough to, like, was it almost like an internship that turned into this, like, you became uh, one of the top people there? Or was this just a, you're one of my apprentices that helps me on my projects? What was the job? Yeah, the job was, um, basically, it started out as just knowing nothing. So um, the teacher was, his name was Lynn. It was at the Lynn Hovey studio. And um, he basically wanted to see my portfolio. 
he wanted to see that I was motivated and he wanted to know if I could climb scaffolding because okay. they needed <laughs> they needed guys to you know to do the construction aspects of the stained glass yeah. world and they also wanted us to um be able to do all of the parts of the craft okay so the first couple of years were a lot of like really grunt type of work you know but also being able to be in these nice spaces um being able to be in nice churches and stuff and see what the other like historic windows were so the the gambit there was um was basically restoration work and commission work for churches and for homes wow okay so you, you were the company to come in and repair yeah. broken windows and things like that yeah we did um like church of the um first church of the christian scientist in boston we did um, Cathedral, the Holy Cross. Um, we did a really wide range. I, I'm trying to think of like, we did some Tiffany glass. Wow. Um, we did lamps. We did everything. We did slumping. We did, we did fused glass a little bit. We did painted glass. We did, um, well, they still do, you know, doors. Yeah. I've always wanted to learn that skill set because I feel like but the danger also is if I learn that skill set I think it would be really funny as a prank to start switching out like work at a church and switch out their stained glass with like instead of Jesus <laughs> it's a stormtrooper bending down or something I feel like it'd be super funny yeah they're kind of they're, they're not that open to new ideas yeah <laughs> um, I so What's interesting about you and I think is um, different than some artists, um, and I would say different than most artists, like a lot of us come in and we have some kind of art background, but when we start doing toys, it's because this is like everything that we want to do about art is toys, but you have gone through so many different art forms and not even like the normal just painting and drawing, but like more obscure ones like you did stained glass and you know about like regular glass work and blowing glass and all kinds of stuff when you look at toys and you look at current um toys that you're working on or what you want to produce how do all these art forms start to inform your ideas and what you want to create it's tricky because when i kind of got into i sort of just stumbled into all these different crafts like um that my dad was a jeweler was like just a happy accident i guess yeah like and i think that a lot of making art is based on finding happy accidents you know that includes knowing the right people being in the right place at the right time and having a little skill and then putting in a lot of a lot of time on like whatever your craft is going to be um but they they definitely all draw on a similar skill set yeah which is like imagination mixed with like a uh, dedication to some part of the craft maybe it's drawing or maybe it's sculpting like whatever that is you know nowadays it's kind of like mashing things up 
Photoshop maybe might be your thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I came into it, I didn't really have any plan. You know, like I think when I got into the idea of like wanting to learn how to cut mirrors, that just kind of opened me up. Like, like, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe this job will work out like as a glass artist. And then that sort of sidetracked me from that, like, not that toys were like the one beginning point even, you know what I mean? It's just was making art, I guess. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, uh, like I never really foresaw those little cast pieces, you know, becoming something. I wanted to make a hockey table where the, the, the pieces, I just wanted to make things that we, I could play with. You know, and I think it also comes from a drive to like take stif- stuff apart. Yeah. You know, like pretty much every toy I had, I took apart or put together like from scratch. Like whatever it was, it would it would basically get hit with a screwdriver, taken apart, and then I would try to put it back together again. Mm. And then if it went back together the right way, then cool. If not, I just had a bunch of parts to. <laughs> yeah do new stuff with um you know there are things like my dad tried to get me into doing electronics and he bought me some kind of electronic kit and i just didn't ever go over like i was like nah like i want the robot arm from radio shack instead yeah so you create your first toy the backer is wood you are, have glued the blister to the piece. What is the distance between there and the first show you did with DKE? Because I know that um, I saw you at Comic-Con, this past one, correct? You sold the, it was the Hula. We interrupted this broadcast of Toys on Top to bring you this. Earth 2 Aliens have landed, Earthling. I want lowbrow art and bootleg toys. Toys, 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 toys. Well, you come to the right place. Earth to Kentucky is a shop for folks who love vintage sci-fi, lowbrow, and art bootleg toys. Toys, toys, toys. They're located over there at 836 Main Street, Covington, Kentucky. Toys, toys. They carry original art, vintage action figures, designer bootleg toys and toys, 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 and t-shirts. Designed exclusively for their store by some of their favorite artists. Thank you, Earthling. I enjoy Earth to Kentucky. I have all my favorite bootleg art toys. toys. Hey, look at that over there. It's a spaceship. Yeah. I need to go now. Someone's filming me in my spaceship. Shop now. www.earthtokentucky.com. That's earth2kentucky.com. Or just land your spaceship when they're open. The, yeah. Um, yeah, Snaggletooth's mom, Sandra. There we go. So Sandra Snivian. Was that your first exclusive with DKE? No, I did um, Walrus Man's mother first. Okay. Um, and that was Aqualish Delish. Um, so she was kind of like a mashup, um, and non, like a non, non arm moving or leg moving. She had like a, um, it was like a Coruscant guards robe and then a walrus man head and walrus man arms. And then we thought it'd look funny if if she was in a moo like a Homer Simpson moo <laughs> Yeah. Because she looks a little surreal and spooky like like that. So I made a bunch of male ones. And then when I showed that to Dove, Dove was like, that's cool. 
And then I was like, okay, this is cool. Thank you. But I'm still not happy with it. So um, I took it and I, I kind of put boobs on it to make it feminine, like yeah. really, really, really feminine, like a big, big lady. Um, and that's where it became the mom. And that's when I put the, did the backer card art in, um, in ink, pen and ink first, and then um, Photoshop that, you know, onto making the, the core card back that I used for um, Greedo's mom and Xandra's mom. I love so that. Once the, you know what I mean? Once that back, the backside is done, you can just kind of do an iteration of that. Yeah. And then once the front side has like those borders, um, that's when you can go and just keep doing iterations on that. So they've, they're getting a little easier at this point, but um, I think the next one is going to be um, Hammerhead's mom. Oh, I love it. So how long, what was the distance between that first toy and the first time you worked with DKE or worked in which you wanted to sell your toys like as a mass produced type thing? Um, I think it was like, once I had the blisters, it kind of happened pretty quick. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was just a, like a long, a long wait from, from like high school to, to like finally putting together like how it would work. And once I got blisters, there was trips to um, designer con, which was really cool because it was a good chance to like get to know people yeah. who were in, in the group, in the group and in the scene and get to actually meet people to see what they were, what, if they were like fun people to hang around with or <laughs> if, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it was really clear right away. Like once I started to meet people who were at their own booths, that everyone was, was super open and, and really friendly and obliging and, and nice, you know, when you went to designer con, I mean, let, let right there is something special, right. To go to, cause I, I started making toys during the pandemic. So by the time I started, I couldn't meet any, like it was all through Instagram by which I was finding people and talking to people. Uh, And it's really hard to weed in and out or weed the people out that you maybe don't want to be connected to or figure out who you want to hang out with. And so that's a little tougher, but man, to go to designer con and see a crazy amount of people that are doing what you love to do. Like, what is that like? It's really, really overwhelming. Yeah. You know, because um, people are running their booths. Like they, they don't have time to talk to every single person for hours, you know, also it's like you get to meet someone just for a brief time. You get, get a glimpse into their, their con presence basically. And then there's also 60 other con artists you want to meet, you know, designer con was like mind blowing because um, there's artists there that I've worshiped since I was like six years old, you know, and Comic-Con too, um, like you get to meet people like Robert Williams, you get to meet Grant Morrison, you get to meet Ron English, you get to meet yeah. Olivia, you know, the pinup artist, you get to meet new people that you've never seen their stuff that have been in the game for like 12 years, you know, you get to meet people who are like 
10 years younger than you and 10,000 10, times more talented. You know, you just get really humbled. Yeah, that is, that's incredible. So I'm, I'm more than stoked to be able to go to designer con this year and be able to see people and get to um, do all that. So this year, are you headed to designer con one and two? If you are, do you have uh, something that you're sending with dev as well? Yeah, this year is going to be um, for designer con in the twenties um, silver oh, screen show. Yep. I got Mr. Creepy Legs in there. Oh, I saw, out. I saw that figure, and I wanted. There's something about that figure where you want all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It, I very few times have I thought that about toys, but they just look so cool that I was like, oh, I think I want nine of them. <laughs> That's cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Creepy Legs is really fun to work with because um, it's got eyes that come out that are magnets. Like Weird. there's, okay. there's the creepy leg head and the nose. But what I usually do is I, I drill holes in where the eye sockets are and I put screws uh -huh. and I make separate eyeballs so that they can be stuck into the eye sockets. And the eyes and pop right out. Eyes come out. Oh my gosh. Which then like that technically is articulation. I love that. Yeah. But the um, thing is, is like, I want to put like other characters, heads and other eyes on there. Okay. <laughs> okay. You know, so you can basically like the, the best version of creepy legs is when he has magnets on the soles of the feet like on the heel and on the ball. And then you can take creepy legs off of his stand and like stick them onto things. Oh yeah. It's a really fun toy. Um, not for little kids cause they can put the eyeballs in their mouth. Yeah. <laughs> but for grownups, it's a lot of fun. And I'm just, I just keep envisioning a lot of variations for it. Yeah. Uh, I, I did one. It looks incredible. Just even like when you're holding it there, it looks great. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I've got the backer one. I have the prototype one for, for the show, which has the card and it has the, the blister on it. And the blister is going to be Velcroed on so you can take it off and you can take your creepy legs out. Yeah. But I have like a tray uh, or like... Um, we usually work in, do you work in trays, like, um, box, like box bottoms? Like, um, let me see what you're talking about. So that way I can, yes. Oh, I mean, like I call that a tray. It's like, yeah, a, I should work in box bottoms or like trays or something, but yeah. I'm an asshole and ruin other boxes or spill paint everywhere. And yeah, I need to get my stuff together for sure. I just put all the projects into trays and then like, I have like a cup full of eyeballs. Yeah. Looks great. Gray eyeballs. And then this is a cup full of like different colored eyeballs. And then this is a box of like miscast, like snaggletooth heads and stuff like that. Oh yeah. So the snaggletooth heads will go inside of the, the head, like inside of the eye sockets and, it's just a matter of time where if I have enough time to work on these things, I can 
make them more elaborate. Yeah. You know, and like do squiggly legs and I don't know. I want to do a creepy legs basically in each pose of a walk cycle. Okay. So, and then put them on a roulette wheel. Oh, yeah. And then you can spin it. And like when you look at a certain one, it'll look like they're walking. Yep. I, I, haven't, got to, I haven't got to that point yet. The shape of it reminds me of, um, which I've wanted to like recreate this figure for so long. It reminds me of the shape. Uh, what is that guy? From Small Soldiers, it's like this little guy. You know who I'm talking about? has he's a ball that is like a quarter size has giant legs and he sits on this rhino guy's head and like it it's a weird figure but it it's just a ball with legs and i love that idea so that's a that's a dope figure yeah there's a figure like that that animation mentor uses called bali oh love i need to go look at that yeah they so like when you're going to learn how to animate like a walk cycle yeah one of the first things you can use in animation mentor is like Bali and he's basically a ball with legs. So you can get the idea of like the foot coming forward and touching heel and then shifting the weight and everything. So now you're talking animation is animation also a part of your art background. Yeah. Yeah. So is there any like artistic part of like all these crazy art forms and stuff that you haven't had the opportunity to get to like you want still and what are some of those like goals like yeah um yeah i'm just sure that there's there's just so many things out there yeah you know you know i like to garden yeah (laughs) i think like because there's weird ones like we've talked about some of the weird dream uh action figures i wanted to make out of like crazy things but you have just had your hand in so many different art forms and it's incredible because that is that in and of itself is the idea of a true artist someone that's not constrained by one art form but is just doing every bit of different arts so with these different styles of art and um the different things that you've had your hands in and now being at comic-con and at designer con and selling figures and doing all those things where is your art headed what is the hope for the next step in your art as it as it looks like toys in a different style or bringing all these different art forms into your toys what does that look like for you it's that's a tricky uh, one to answer because i got a comic book that I'm working on. Um, I've got the creepy legs guys that I'm working on. I think if I had uh, like a, like a dream to do would be more of like having the ability to just pick and choose the projects that I want to work on and and pick and choose to the people that I'd want to work with. Yeah. Like that's kind of an artist's ideal in some ways and be able like self-sustaining that way. Um, I'm currently, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pleased with, with my day job. It's a good gig, you know, so I like to do that. I like what I do. Um, So it, and it gives me 
space and time to do what I'm doing, if I, I it, it's a tough choice to choose between one or the other. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's like, that's just kind of how I see art for a lot of people. Like people have to be graphic designers, people have to be producers, people have to be, you know, web designers, people have to be glass artists, people have to be jewelers, whatever it is that they need to do to keep the bills paid is yeah. what they have to do. I mean, eventually you sort of start serving, serving someone, you know, so that you, they can get, even if, even if you're an independent artist, like we used to do a lot of commissions in glass. So even though I would feel like, oh, I get to do this glass window for someone, you know, they still would have limits, you mm -hmm. know, and the mediums can be a limit too, you know, hmm. like, like for example, like a movie converted in from a comic book, it never always gets, catches the same feel as the book, you know, like when you're an author, the book doesn't always match the movie mm -hmm. if they get a movie out there. So sometimes a medium is a limitation in a way too. Um, That's interesting. Um, I just, I don't know. I just like to get out there and try different things. Yeah. Which I, yeah, I'll send you a, a message after this of, of the next idea. Maybe you can help me push my ass into new directions. Cause sometimes I, uh, I get stuck is what I like to call it, but it's really, I get lazy. So you seem like you're not that lazy guy. So maybe I'll send you a message, maybe start a fire, but as we are, we're approaching that uh, towards the end of the podcast, and I just, I'm like enthralled by the, the constant push to go to different art forms and to do that. And so as you continue this, and as you are trying to continue to push, push and push, are, is there going to be a time that at DesignerCon and Comic-Con that you would like to have your own booths where you're doing this just on your own? And, sure. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be great. Like, I, I would love that. Um, I just, I just feel like there's still plenty of time ahead. Yeah. You know, like I'm on, I'm developing um, chapter two, book one of a comic book that I'm working on, you know, like, I'd like to develop that a lot more. Um, I've got some other stories and, and print things that I'd like to get out there, you know, someday I have a list of like different things that I'd really like to get done. Um, Creepy Legs was on the list. Um, comic book, the, the first chapter was on the list. I'd like, to do, um, I'd like to do a set of tarot cards someday, you know? And I'd like to do a book that would go with those. Stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know, there's other bigger things too. It's like, I, I almost like to just live in a desert in a sustainable house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So are you, with all those ideas, I mean, as you're talking, there's so many artists that I'm here, like I can think of that could, would be those partner pieces with like tarot cards and comic books and drawing and all those things. Is that for those like bigger projects is collaborative work, what you're looking for for those as well? Or would that be something you'd be into? I think so. I think, especially for comics, um, trying to do, doing the first book by myself was hard. And now at this point I'm sending out like a call to artists to, to send me some fake ads 
because if people want to put some ads of their their work in like if you want to put in a toys and tap ad like i'm giving away free ad space in there yeah and it's basically it's on me you know what i mean like i'm going to self-publish these and then you know give people a copy but also sell copies on my own so i think it it helps people both ways, like they're getting an ad and then I'm getting some of the space filled in that book that I don't yeah. have to fill that in myself. I love um, that. Don't, don't tempt me with a good time. I'll send you a whole ad already. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. Please do. Anyone out there who has it, you know, just direct message me and I've, I've sent the invite out there on our, on our discord channel and I've hit up specific people, you know, when I know, that they might be interested or if I really like their work. Like I'll just yeah. kind of cold call and be like, hey, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, the last part of the podcast, uh, you've probably heard this before, is my favorite part because it gives the artist the opportunity to talk about everywhere that they are, things that they're working on, where they can find your work, anything that you want to plug. This spot is just for you. because, And I think that that's my, just my favorite because I think it's cool to give every artist another platform. So this whole bit is just you. Where can we find you? How do we get your stuff? Where are you going to be next? What are you working on? Everything. Um, I'm on Instagram mainly, Joshua D. Hoagland. That's my main art platform at this point, you know, and I've got a comic book out there, The Adventures of Jack Maggot. Love it. I, coming out with um, the the second chapter in December or January, depending if they have a supply shortage on paper. I have a show with DKE, the silver screen show with a bunch of other great artists. Uh, Mr. Creepy Legs is going to be in that show. And I'm going to be in um, Toys R Guts Gallery. They have a, gut, a Giger show that's coming up. And then I'm going to be at Ontario Comic-Con in December. And also probably be in the Punk Rock Food Drive, which should be over in Vista, California. Wow, you got a lot going on. Josh, thank you so much for being on Toys on Tap. Thank you for everything. Thanks, man. on tap next episode it's great it's amazing you're gonna want to listen to it it's not right now though you're gonna have to wait till the next episode to listen to it oh when's that the next one cool toys on tap the next one's gonna be good too so stay tuned and, and, and listen to that awesome